Are you ever curious what's going on behind the scenes in Hollywood? You watch a Netflix show or a Marvel movie and you wonder, why was that person in it? Why did this movie get made? I'm Matt Bellany, founding partner of Puck News, and I'm covering the inside conversation about money and power in Hollywood. With my new show, The Town, on the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm going to take you inside Hollywood with exclusive insight on what people in show business are actually talking about. Multiple times a week, we're going to bring you short, digestible episodes featuring some of the smartest people I know breaking down the hottest topics in entertainment to tell you what's really going on. Follow The Town now and listen on Spotify. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MBA show. My name is Chris Ryan. It's the answer. I'm joined as always by Sirit Soe. What's up, Sirit? How's it going, Chris? Let's go to Memphis. Let's go. I'm excited. Let's go to Beale Street. I don't even know if Beale Street is really popping anymore. I don't know if there's a different, like, cooler part of Memphis to hang out. It's been a minute since I've been there. But Memphis is on my mind because as we finish up this season, I think we can say that uh, while we're going to be getting a lot of uh, postmortems on the Lakers to, to fill our time between now and the playoffs, Memphis was the story of the season, this Grizzlies team. And one of the interesting things that came out of this amazing season that they had where they obviously took the leap. John Morant made himself at least briefly an MVP candidate, definitely an all-NBA candidate. And they got contributions from all up and down their roster and were pretty unbeatable even without Ja. The thing that's come out of it is um, whether or not Memphis is somehow like an antidote to the super team paradigm of team building. And the idea of like going out, trying to find yourself two to three superstars to build your roster around. Is there another way? And I think small market teams have been searching for that other way and have been toying around with that other way for a while. But Memphis is among the first teams to really, truly hit on that. And so we wanted to talk a little bit today about whether or not Memphis is Memphis and you can't copy what they did or whether or not Memphis should give hope to teams like Detroit or teams like Indiana or teams like Charlotte on how they could go about maybe getting out of um, the middle. So Sirit, thank you for joining me today on the Answer Podcast to talk about Memphis. No problem. I'll be here every week. <laughs> Everybody's like, it's their second favorite team. Memphis has is, is become like the darlings of the NBA. Do you do you share that sentiment? Yeah, they, they might be my favorite team, though, as somebody who doesn't have an actual favorite team. Like, they've been my favorite team for like probably like a year and a half now, honestly. Yeah. I was very high on them 
in the off season, which is to say I thought that they could be the fifth seed. Yes. Uh, so they've, they've exceeded pretty much every expectation. But, yo, like, how could you not like this team, honestly? You can count, like, pretty much any moment in this season. The one that I'm probably, like, most fixated on recently is bit, was, like, they beat the Suns. Like, Sands Jaw, no Jaron Jackson, no Steven Adams, no Desmond Bain. Dylan Brooks is, is talking shit to the guy who you don't talk shit to. Like, yeah. Devin Booker is the ultimate fuck around and find out player in the NBA. And Dylan Brooks was like, yeah, no, I'll piss him off. Like, and Desmond Bain is like, yeah, I'll piss LeBron off. Like, they don't really care and they enjoy it. And they also expect it. They invite it. Tim McMahon did an article for ESPN on, you know, their culture and everything. And Jaron Jackson was like, yeah, you know, like, I think there comes a time in like a lot of these games when teams and players just get pissed off and like we kind of we see it coming and it's it is what it is and it's fun and we don't really let it impact us and yeah it's just I don't know they're really they're old school they're the closest thing to a college team this league has and I mean that both in the Cinderella everybody's falling in love with St. Peter's way and I also mean it in the badass Michigan UNLV swagger way Where, you know, like, there's a little bit of like, oh, nobody believes in Memphis. Nobody saw this coming. And then they play like, we're the one seed. You guys are in our house. Like, we'll play the game we want to play. And, you know, you mentioned the game recently where basically the entire team was out, except for Dylan Brooks. And there was a guy who I'd never heard of before and haven't heard of since who had, like, a pretty sick dunk. (laughs) And the bench reaction was like a high school game like you would think that they just won like the catholic league title in a like a a city somewhere in the states like in a high school league because it was just like pandemonium it's pandemonium and i think in a modern league where it can feel pretty staid and it's not uncommon to turn on a tv and it's the Mm -hmm. third quarter and no one in miami is back at their seats yet and nobody on the bench really like moves and in a lot of ways, this season has been about what like kind of didn't work, whether it's the Lakers or the Nets or the Jazz or whoever, where it's like, ah, oh, it's too bad. Or even teams like the Bulls that were really like fun in the beginning and weren't able to sustain it because of injuries. Memphis has persevered throughout this entire thing and haven't really had, since the first 10 games or whatever, first 20 games, have not had a blip. They were like 10 no. and 10 and since then have gone absolutely nuts yeah um that player is i'm gonna learn how to pronounce his name maybe we'll all know his name by the end of the playoffs. santi almada out of spain he's got to be a rookie i mean um, i've been waved by now i have no idea <laughs> you know, like, yeah but yo like the, these guys all like each other too like yeah. I, I really think that they take joy in each other's successes right now like every single time that you know jaron jackson doesn't get up for a pump fake or or you know john morant somebody goes under a screen and he hits the three like that is something that they understand to be like a collective win for for all of them but yeah i mean 20 and 4 without him they had some breaks in in that as well i agree with you i went back through their season just like looking at their streaks here and there Mm -hmm. and it's kind of nice to know the universe does work this way a little bit but for all the bad luck some teams have had memphis when they would get warm they were able to get hot because they got to play crappy teams. Like mm-hmm. they did go on like runs where it was like, you know, Spurs, Rockets, like they would rack up some good, like confidence building wins, I think in some of those streaks. And then they would go off and beat real teams and sometimes mm-hmm. beat real teams without jaw, obviously. 
But yeah, they caught they caught some breaks. Yeah, they got injured Golden State. They just got like they well, they beat the Suns full strength, but they got the Sixers with without Joel, the Clippers without Paul George, a couple of those. Mavericks without Luca, but it's also Memphis without Ja, right? So they're right. dealing with the same deficit. I love the the synergy between team and city and they all they embody all of these sort of cliched things that just happen to be very true for them like the blue collar city's relationship with its chippy defensive minded team that doesn't you know care what you think about them and i think like the thing that makes them really fun is the fact that all that stuff is actually genuine and also there's ways to want to prove people wrong right Mm -hmm. like we've seen this type of team come out before like they've been compared to the hawks and the Hawks kind of felt like they had a bit of an inferiority complex. Sure. But with the Grizzlies, it's a little bit different. I almost feel like they have a lot of players who, I mean, we know Jaw, Jaw's story went to Murray State. Like, I think every single feature about him has somehow referenced that he grew up around a lot of, like, blue chip teams. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, you know, a stone's throw away from Kentucky, like, you know growing up in South Carolina and, you know, North Carolina basketball dominates and everything. But I think that they have a lot of players on the team that grew up in those circumstances and, and you know, were in those circumstances long enough to actually understand that the hype machine isn't really that indicative of how good you are as an individual. And they want to be recognized for sure. But I also like, it, it's just a subtle psychological difference that I think can like prevent a team like Memphis from you know, letting that seep into the locker room too much. Does that make sense? Of course, yeah. I mean, look, I think that there's alternate timeline Memphises that are out there in the multiverse where they're a 30-win team that relies too heavily on Ja and Jaron Jackson hasn't worked out. Or they're a 42-win team and guys like Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks are like, we're not really good enough for me not to be getting more opportunities. You know what I mean? And... You know, like we may meet that Memphis team in a couple of years when everybody needs to get paid and you have to make decisions about whether or not the seventh or eighth or ninth guy on this team should be making $10 million or not. And even if that player might go earn that contract somewhere else, they're going to have to make some decisions eventually. But this Memphis team kind of got high on their own confidence, like their own sensory awareness of how good they could be has Mm -hmm. done nothing but power them up rather than create any kind of frailty. Like there are a lot of teams out there that crumple under new expectations or Mm -hmm. a new spotlight. And in some ways, like I wonder whether the Memphis of it like being not a major market, Verno had a lot of fun at the expense of ESPN spending the day in Memphis to do like Memphis Day for their coverage. And they were using like pictures of a background of Memphis from like 20 years ago and the skyline didn't even look that way. And they're talking about Elvis and all this stuff. And I wonder whether or not just being outside of the spotlight for some of this developmental period helped. And now we come to the playoffs and it's really their coming out party. Yeah. Ultimately for them, maybe just isn't about other people, right? Like mm-hmm. That's when the expectations can get to you. And for them, everything just seems so internal. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. I feel like they really, they really enjoy the fact that nobody believes in them. They expect it. We can get into the, like, the team building side of this because I think that that actually really informs what 
you know, this this culture that's kind of like somewhere organically, but also very much intentionally kind of propped up here. It's hard to imagine that this isn't like an algorithm working out. Like, you know, obviously right, yeah. like, we can get into like how like Robert Para, the owner and the money that he's put into the team, the money that he may have to spend on the team down the line. There was a really interesting Brian Windhorst article about that, how rich he is and whether or not he'll pay the tax if it comes time to break off money for Bain and for Brooks and for other guys on the team. But I almost feel like these guys benefited from other teams' poor fortune in a lot of ways. Like if Utah had worked out this year, if the Lakers had worked out this year, if Lillard had stayed healthy this year and the Trailblazers were able to put something together with Powell and McCollum and him and like be better than what they were, which was an abomination. If Zion had been healthy and the Pelicans had been good, a couple of these like elements that kind of like cleared out a little bit of space for for a team like Memphis to make mm-hmm. the kind of jump that the Suns did out of the bubble with Chris Paul, you know, like the following season. I think that they really benefited from circumstances, but the genius of the team was like seizing that moment and recognizing that opportunity and putting themselves in that position. Yeah. I don't think they thought they were going to be this good this year. It's hard to imagine. I mean, like they have a, what is it? Six, nine, two winning percentage. In the last three years when Morant's been on the team, since they've drafted Morant, they have gotten like steadily better each season, you know, obviously a bubble season, but like they've gotten steadily better. This is a huge leap though from the season to last season. Yeah. And they all have, right. They all have. And this is like, this is where the team building part is really interesting. Because I think that there is like this idea in drafting, like the conventional wisdom of drafting guys that are a little bit older or that didn't rank highly in high school is that, you know, they've worked really hard, but that also puts a cap on their ceiling because they might have gotten like the most that they can out of it, right? I think Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason that a guy like Desmond Bain, who by the way, played for the TCU Horn Frogs, the Horn Frogs, you guys. Was their name? The example that I think crystallizes what you're talking about is it's the difference between drafting Zaire Smith and Mikhail Bridges. It's drafting the guy where all you see on the tape is everything that could be, and you ignore the dude who shows you everything he is. Yeah. So you're passing on a Villanova star who will do everything you need him to do on the floor to get your team to a win Yeah. versus this dude who's like, well, he can jump out of the gym. We just need to teach him how to play basketball. Just don't pass up on guys that spent three or four years at Villanova. I know, especially when their mom works for the Sixers. (laughs) And then check the other guy's allergies. Like that is his basic stuff. Do you have any allergies I should know about before we go forward? Like, it's just like, I just, it's so maddening. Sixers have... Like some athletic (laughs) problems, some shooting problems, some defense problems on Mm. the perimeter. I wonder who could have solved that. Sorry. Oh, it would have been perfect. Uh, Yeah. It's okay. Get it out. Ah, It's just like, it's like, oh no, Matisse Thibault can't go to Toronto. Like, it's like, do you think that was what was the difference last night for the Sixers Raptors games? No. (laughs) Uh. Oh man. It's all right. It's okay, Chris. It's okay. I, you were saying, locating the type of player you draft. Yeah. So Desmond Bain did four years in college. Xavier Tillman did four years in college in which he lost weight every single year, got a little bit better every single year, like went to the Draymond Green school of learning how to screen, Mm kind of like Bridges. Like it's Villanova and Michigan State are two schools that I think that do a really good job of teaching the fundamentals of the game. Mm-hmm. Ironically, actually, this is something that, uh, so when the Warriors, after the Warriors lost to um, the Grizzlies, the last time, I think this was late March, Iguodala had a press conference after. This was the same night that Dylan Brooks was like, you know, talking about how when Iguodala got traded to the Grizzlies, he didn't want to, sh- you know, dress for the team. He was waiting for a way out to a contender. Dylan Brooks now is like, well, we saw the vision. He didn't. That same night, 
Iguodala being asked about his own team, like, you know, helping the young guys in his own team, like he gets into this conversation uh, with the reporters about, you know, the differences between how players used to be and how they are now. Mm-hmm. And he, he was he was self-conscious about it, it felt like. He was like, you know, like, I don't really want to be an old head about it, but, like, I feel like my job is to reinforce, like, the fundamentals and the true essence of the game. Like, he, he kind of made a reference to, like, you know, the top-level talent is amazing, but the bottom is getting lower. Yeah. And, you know, as gatekeepers of the game, we have to make sure that we help sustain it and we pass down the right things and he compared it to he compared the modern nba to a pickup game where you know guys just don't really know the tendencies of their opponent like the defense can have effort but it doesn't necessarily you know like it's just really easy to take advantage of and players don't necessarily care about getting scored on yeah uh, and he talks about the art of the game and i like i'm, I'm wa- i was watching this and i was like you know he's not gonna say it and he's maybe he's not even thinking it but man like that is exactly what the grizzlies are sure like that is exactly what the grizzlies are like they have young players that spent a lot of time in college or you have a guy like jaron jackson who you know has has a dad who's in the nba a mom who's also a basketball player and, and went to like at high school and then you know went actually went to michigan state i think like looking to to toughen up a little bit like mm-hmm. you know it was very intentional about his his development they're seamless communicating on defense like they're really smart they're they are much smarter than your average young nba team so i think that there's you know i, I wonder if there's a like while there are like a lot of vets that they're playing there that are getting pissed off playing them and pissed off about the things that the grizzlies are saying i wonder if there's also like a kind of a, a begrudging respect that is developed as well there's that money ball line where it's like we'll be card counters at the casino and it's like the Grizzlies, like, market inefficiency is giving a shit. And I think that there's a world in which Brandon Clark, for instance, gets drafted by the Wizards or the Rockets or something post-Harden and plays a couple of years in the NBA and then towards the end of his rookie deal is on a bad team and tries to get to a place where he's a 20-10 and 10 guy or an 18-9 and 9 guy or something and gets, like, mm-hmm. a nice, healthy second contract somewhere, maybe not culturally a fit, maybe not going in the right direction, but whatever, it's a second deal. Kudos to like all these guys who are beneath that job, Bain, Jackson, Brooks tier, who are like, this might not translate to raw stats to get me my second deal or to get me like, like stability going forward, but they're basically betting on making a deep playoff run and being on national television and having everybody be like, wait, who's Xavier Tillman? Like, mm-hmm. Who is th- this guy's awesome? Mm-hmm. And that being their path to their future. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, like they might go to the finals, you, yeah. you know, like in the meantime, they like they are seizing this now thing. And that's kind of where I wanted to start asking you a little bit about what ripple effects this team could have and what the wider NBA could kind of learn from it. Because as a Sixers fan and as a person who lived through like the process and this idea that like, you know, everything comes along slowly and you draft these superstars and then you start to assemble talent. And then as Hinky led to Colangelo led to Maury, you kind of saw it become a little bit more like what we need is stars mm-hmm. when we'll do anything for these stars. And that's how you wind up with Harden. Yeah. But I don't know if Memphis is going to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there was some chatter in January about like, I mean, if anybody's going to make a deal for Beal, Memphis should do it because Memphis has all of these picks and they have all of these guys who are pretty useful that they could fill out salary with. They don't maybe have like the giant contract that could go one for one with a Beal, but they could get close to there by trading a bunch of of filler with their picks. Yeah. 
But it's like, I'm pretty glad that they didn't trade for Beal. I want to see this team in the playoffs. Yeah, they've been really patient about their timeline. And ironically, that patience is exactly what has now allowed them to, to really vault up. But it's really interesting how they built their team. Like Brandon Clark, you mentioned, also another guy, did two years at San Jose, then transferred to Gonzaga before he was drafted too. That's one thing that Memphis really keyed in on and that I think like smarter teams when they draft are now keying in on too is like you can look at a guy's potential, but like what if previous improvement is actually the best indicator for future improvement? You know, you look at some of these teams and you say, well, A, there's a lot of luck involved, but you also like you see a team like, again, Atlanta, where there's this expectation of constant improvement. And that I think is sometimes where you get lost in team building is just the assumption that things are always going to go up. And that wasn't necessarily like necess- like going to happen in Memphis. Like let's before we like really get into it, like let's get one thing out of the way about luck as well. The Grizzlies could have drafted mm-hmm. Trey Young instead of Jaron Jackson. And if they draft Trey Young instead of Jaron Jackson, they never draft John Morant. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have Trey Young, but I think that then you right. are looking at a very different team with a very different identity, and we, we don't really know what it is. Could still be great, but, you know, could be very different. So, like, that's – they hit on Ja, they hit on Jaron. Those guys are great culture fits. They're compliments to each other. They're complementary players. It's like I watched uh, Sixers-Pistons the other week and was pretty mm-hmm. intrigued by that Pistons team. I've tried to check them out a little bit more, even as they are – trying to get better odds for the lottery and I was thinking a lot about who goes with Cade you know because on one hand you're Detroit and you haven't been good in a while and maybe you just get the best guy you possibly can with the pick you have even if it seems duplicative with some of the things that Cade does although Cade's a pretty unique player but I would love to see them get a Jabari Smith who is just like a complete knockdown shooter that you can then kind of build that offense around those two components of Cade and a shooter, it's not always like the single draft that you have to get right. It's the two or three drafts that you had to get right while you're still bad, you know? Yeah. They just took a lot of shots, I think. This is what small market teams have to do. They maximized on the guys that they were going to lose. So I went through the Gasol trade and the Conley trade. I kind of just wanted to figure out how they put their rotation together, essentially. So let's, let's get into it a little bit. And incidentally, can we just say, very few teams handle a changing of a face of the franchise this well. Yeah. I feel like Conley and Gasol will both have their numbers retired by Memphis and like will be remembered as Grizzlies when they are done, even though Gasol won a title with Toronto and Conley's been on Utah for a couple of years. For sure. So Gasol they have for the first year of Jaron Jackson. No, they traded him in in Jaron's first year. Just to speak to, you know, creating room, right? Like, mm-hmm. you, just like the Cade conversation you were having. They traded him for CJ Miles, Jonas Valanciunas, DeLon Wright, a 2024 second round pick. The DeLon Wright trade that happens after that, they, for, like, they use those guys in rotation, but then they get Bra- Brandon Boston Jr., who then they put into the jo- Jonas Valanciunas swap for Steven Adams. Right. And that also gets him Zaire Williams. So they are still benefiting from that right now. But the big one is really like the Mike Conley trade. Like they, they trade Mike Conley for Grayson Allen, Jay Crowder, Darius Baisley, Kyle Korver, and a 2020 first round pick. Baisley and a second rounder turn into Brandon Clark. Crowder, Solomon Hill, Andre Iguodala traded for Justice Winslow and, and Gorgie Jang. Winslow could have actually really hit for them, but he, he gets hurt before the first game of the bubble. I can't talk about Winslow. I've always loved his game and like it bums me out. It really sucks. The first press conference that he had in the bubble, he was so hyped. Like he was so excited. And then like the I think like two days later we find out that he's gonna be out. It was it was that was brutal. Um then they turn they turn Corver, who like they weren't really probably gonna do anything with. They turned Corver and Javon Carter into the Josh Jackson deal 
with uh, with the Suns, yeah. trying to do like a second draft thing with Josh Jackson. That doesn't work out, but it gets them to Anthony Melton in a second round pick and a 2022 second round pick, which they then use to trade for Xavier Tillman. And then they get De- they get Desmond Bain trading two second round picks for for the Celtics' thirtieth pick. I think that was actually his son's pick. But basically, you've got you know Conley turns into Clark Melton and Tillman, and Gasol turns into Stephen Adams and Zaire Williams. Dylan Brooks is like a, a pre climbing guy. <laughs> Funny enough, he was I think on draft night traded for the Anthony Melton, yeah. uh, just like a second round swap. And then they get they get Conchar was undrafted in twenty nineteen. Kyle Anderson and Tyus Jones sign as free agents for less than ten million a year each. And now you know th- this is the Grizzlies right like outside of like they, they hit on jaw and Jaron but the rest of the rotation is just man it's no crumbs yeah. there's no crumbs in this at all there's a, there's a couple things that just didn't hit and I think I think it was really interesting to go through the players that they tried on that didn't work out because I think we have this conception of like small market teams can't fail they can't get anything wrong I don't right. think that's necessarily true I think you just have to keep kind of trying and like the Grizzlies have always been there and like the opportune moments like getting Andre Dick Iguodala was an opportune moment it's like seeing that like the Warriors are going to need to make space at, at that moment I think it was like when when KD was going to the Nets and they wanted to get Russell back that's just seeing things that's just being active that's like being in the conversation like they're always there's they're always in it they made like 40 deals for like Patrick Beverly and, and Eric Bledsoe this summer that were like centered around it that didn't really nothing really came out of them but that it, to me has kind of been like I guess like the closest thing to a strategy for them you could have this conversation where it's like is all of this stuff window dressing around the fact that they drafted a guy number two who is playing like a number one pick you know they got John Morant and John Morant is having a better career than Zion Williamson. What if they got the first pick in that draft, right? I mean, they would definitely have taken Zion. You had to take him that year, but... You had to, but it's interesting. I think, like, I remember talking to somebody on the Pelicans that year, and this was before Jaws' rookie year and before Zion's injury. Of Like, it was a conversation. Sure. It was a conversation because of Zion's health and because of whose jaw was. Yeah, because I think that people saw that sneaker explode and they were like, this could, this could go poorly. And I think you could reasonably look at Jaw and be like, he plays with that Westbrookian abandon and there's going to be a time where he comes down on his back or he comes down on his knee and it doesn't look great, you know? And the thing is, is that they've missed him a lot this season. <laughs> like he's yeah. only played what 56 games, 57 games or something like that. Like they have experienced life without Ja. This is not a one man show. This is not like an elite player bringing a bunch of like savvy role players along with him. Like there's like, plenty of evidence to suggest that this team is just as good without Jaw as they are with him. Now, I think when you get into a playoff situation and you need the defenses are more intense and you need that elite talent to create baskets for themselves and others, like Jaw is going to be indispensable and his health is going to pretty much determine how far they can go in the playoffs. But geez, like this is not a one-man show, you know, Mm -hmm. and this is not a matter of Steph elevating a bunch of guys around him or something like that. This is like what would happen if Steph missed a, a third of the season and the Warriors just kept cruising, you know? Yeah. If this was a team without Jaw, they would be exactly like the, the original Grit and Grind Grizzlies, right? Right. Where you'd be saying like, man, they could use a, you could really use a guy like Jaw. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. 
But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I look around at some of the other teams that are in various stages of their rebuilding project. For instance, like the Rockets, which have been kind of like a way station for bad contracts and also have like, you know, they have wall in the books. They still have Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, who's kind of like a stats guy, but like, I don't know is necessarily like a winning player per se. And then you've got Jalen green in who can clearly get 32 a night. If you give him the opportunity to do it. But I don't know if he has that like jaw quality to him. That's like, I can take this team over the top, start building around me. And I think the problem with that team is what Iguodala was talking about. Is like the, the fundamentals. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, I think you're probably right. The closest thing that I see to a Memphis on the horizon is Detroit. Just because yeah. I think Detroit has drafted some really interesting players aside from Cade and then clearly just hit the mother load with Cade. Sadiq Bay, man. Villanova. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Just listen to Jay Wright when he talks, you know, like just take his guys. Colin Gillespie, go number one. What do you think when you look around at some of the other teams out there? What's an example of a team that are doing things like maybe the the right way in the Memphis mold? Is there any team that you think are kind of like starting to follow that? Or all these teams have the problem that maybe they've got smart players. Maybe they've got like an interesting core, but like they haven't hit this almost like miracle cap situation that the Grizzlies find themselves in for like at least I believe one more season right yeah and the the miracle cap situation I think is a function of just having a lot of late round picks right like the later a guy is drafted especially in the second round like the less he can make on his second contract too I think that will probably naturally end up helping Memphis down the line too like there's only so much that like they decide that they want to keep a guy like Xavier Tillman that Tillman can make and I don't know the exact numbers but you can't pay him like you, you can pay a first round pick that by the way is just unfair sure it almost speaks to like the general problem with like you know scouting and like how we perceive players um like it's baked into the CBA that a player that was drafted in the first round first 10 picks would you know years later after experiencing the NBA deserve more money than a second round pick when you know honestly like the alternative is probably true because like the second round pick probably had to prove a lot more probably got less opportunities 
Um, and like, you know, in most cases would have to make it work in circumstances that aren't great. Whereas like the first round pick usually gets like the opportunities and is put in better positions to succeed. Right. But yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of what Memphis is keyed into, like in terms of, you know, it'll help their cap, but it also helps their culture. Um, they remind me of the Raptors in that way too, and that they just have a lot of players who have had to work really hard and that have learned how to play team basketball as well. And believe in that and believe that it succeeds so as a player when you when you actually believe that I think that that can really help you the Cavs I think probably have some some similarities as well OKC is a team that I'm thinking about where I'm like how many seasons are you going to cap how good you can be just to try to be in the lottery again there's a whole other OKC conversation to have about whether or not like this is actually more embarrassing than the process and whether or not like it's strange that the process was like this national sports headline for several years all of it's fine if you don't talk about it right but the okc thing is just like fine that like i just assume that the sixers can trade tobias harris into cap space in the offseason or something like that and that like so when is the okc thing gonna happen is it next season once they get this pick and i know they missed out on you know Cade. they missed out on like maybe trying to be in the top of the lottery these last two seasons but i'm sure the culture is great Shay's great. Giddy's awesome. Like there's some definitely some cool things happening there, but I kind of just don't know like if this is even an NBA team. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Like there's a lack of structure there that I just wonder like long term, like these are the players that you're developing and is that necessarily a good thing for them? Like obviously their asset management has been amazing, but how different is what they're doing from, you know, a team like Houston? Like you said, like they don't have a jaw type of guy, right? And this kind of brings like brings us to a question that you asked as well, where it's like, when do you start building in earnest? Because Cleveland did it very quickly. You know, we'll never know what the Cleveland, if Rubio had stayed healthy or if you know Jared Allen had stayed healthy or if Evan Mobley had stayed healthy or if Colin Sexton, like they had a legitimately intriguing, possibly top half of the Eastern Conference team and were not slouches. Like they beat really good teams like any given night and then injuries just completely decimated that team but they surrounded a lot of those young guys with the Kevin Loves and the Laurie Markinens and they traded for Karis LeVert in the middle of the season as a kind of playoff infusion and it didn't quite work obviously and now they've got some decisions to make about Sexton and a bunch of other guys yeah like when does Oklahoma City say screw it like we'll go for Jeremy Grant or whatever like start mm-hmm. bringing in the like the kind of upper level player to complement Giddy Shea and whoever they draft in this year's draft it's like if I'm if I'm Shea right like first of all they've already given him 200 million dollars yeah and he seems to love it there he's posing in a Reba McIntyre t-shirt I would also love having 200 million dollars sure. you know yeah <laughs> No, for sure. And I mean, he does, he does seem to love it, but you know, you also, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. He like, you know, he hurt his ankle and now like, that's, that's good enough for Like, I don't, I, I'm not going to pretend I know the actual particulars of his injury, but like, you know, in a team like OKC, that's now good enough for him to be out for the rest of the season sure. as opposed to playing games. But you know, if you look at the, like the 10 games before that, like he's averaging almost like 30 points a game and they only won one of those games. Mm-hmm. He's arrived, but like, there is also just like a lack of guys around him. Like, they have a lot of young players. Yeah. And they have a lot of players with potential. We keep saying they're going to be really fun. When is that going to happen, I guess? Maybe this is the offseason where they do try to surround, you know, like, they. I think now they have enough. If they do Shea and Giddy and then they bring in 
another pick. So let's say they get Chet Jabari, one of the top picks. And then they could trade for Tobias Harris and just have Tobias Harris be a contributing NBA player on that team. I think that would be fine. Like that you could have a pro like Tobias on the squad. Doesn't you have manifesting, to be, bro? <laughs> no, but it doesn't have to be another Horford or Kemba rental, like where you're just like, yeah. hey, we're just we'll we'll set you up with a good situation next. Yeah. Like isn't the situation of Chris Paul helping you get to the playoffs better for your player development long long term anyways? The Suns would say it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So Memphis is currently gonna they're the second seed, correct? Yeah. And so they will play one of the play-in teams coming out of that uh, rigmarole. Let's say they get through that um, second round. I will say, like, not... I mean, I think they'll get through it, but if they get the Wolves, that's going to be a really interesting series. I think they can beat the Wolves. I guess maybe I'm also not as convinced of, about Minnesota as some other people are. But they come out, they play the the seven seed, they do that, and then they'll play the, uh, the three six seed, which could be the Warriors or the Nuggets if the season ended today. So let's say they lose to the, the Warriors in the second round. A, would you consider this season a success? And B, would you go into the Beal market? Would you go into the superstar player market? Would you go and try and find a big-time star to put next to all these guys, even if it meant saying goodbye to some of the hometown heroes that you have? Yeah, losing to the Warriors is nothing to be ashamed of, you know? Yeah, but they don't have room for all the picks that they have. Like, they should probably get off some of them. You know, if you ask me in the offseason... Is that success? I would say yes. But I think that's actually going to be really the biggest test for them. Like, up until now, they have looked at every single part of their success as almost separate from their Mm -hmm. decision-making. Like, they've been really patient. Like you said, they didn't get into the Beal market. And I don't really think that they ever had much of an intention to unless, you know, something really obvious popped up in front of them like they've just wanted to see how this thing goes for a while and then I think like it's just a question of like your internal metal there of like are you now that you know you've hypothetically arrived and, and you've lost on this big stage which by the way a Warriors Grizzlies series I'm not necessarily giving it to the Warriors like they they showed that they can they can really frustrate the hell out of the Warriors. Like yeah. this is like this is the exact ty- type of team that the Warriors hated playing in their championship years, and it's the same type of team that they hate playing now. Like it's like the grit and grind Grizzlies, except there's no Tony Allen for you to try to take out of the game, and 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 you know John Morant is just going to be a much better scorer and an impossible quandary for your defense in a way that that team never presented. So that series, I think, would be very real. Uh, but if the Grizzlies were to lose it, I think it's like it's almost like a circumstance of how they lose. Like if you look at their loss to Utah last year, they kind of ended up spending that offseason doing what Utah didn't, which is like they looked at the reasons that they lost in the margins. Like there's obviously things that, you know, I think Jaws, Jaws game management has gotten a lot better and it still needs to continue to improve. Like you look at that Wolves game, like he just the Wolves perimeter defense frustrated him and he pulls up at for like this this horrible three with five seconds left on the clock and 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 Memphis loses that game like he's made a lot of strides there and that's like I'm sure it's something he'll continue to do but and they 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 did a good job of figuring out what they needed to internally improve but the front office also did a good job of being like oh okay so Jonas Valanciunas is not going to be able to hang in the playoffs like we should probably try to find a trade for him and they go and get kind of the perfect guy to replace him and that like in Steven Adams like another five another great offensive rebounder they don't lose that part of their identity but who's also just gonna be much better on defense and who also is like one of the legendary locker room guys for sure good point and then they get they get rid of Grayson Allen too who like you know like Donovan Mitchell was just licking his chops every single time with that one yeah 
So I think it kind of depends on the circumstances in which they lose. Like, if it turns out that it's like, you know, maybe Jaws taking 30 shots a game and it's like, oh, this is just too much for him. Like, yeah, maybe they do have to go a little bit big game hunting, but... I don't know. I think it completely depends on what happens because, like, what kind of superstar do you think would fit well on Memphis and make them better? Paul George. That's a really good one, yeah. Like, somebody who maybe doesn't have to bear the face of the franchise stuff, but, I mean, Clippers aren't getting rid of Paul George and Paul, but George doesn't want to leave LA. I don't think, but, like... But the type. That yeah. is... Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Like, elite perimeter defender, gets can make his own shot, can go off but also doesn't need to be the highest usage rate guy Mm -hmm. the Beal thing is interesting the flip side of this which i you know don't even know how they would really pull this off since um by all accounts this is like a four or five guy draft and then everything below that is kind of throwing darts at a wall blindfolded not blindfolded but like you might hit somebody at nine or 12 who's just as good at the guy as the guy at six. The flip side to this is Memphis using a bunch of their draft capital and maybe some sweeteners to get up into that top four. Now, I can't imagine any of the projected teams who are going to be at the top of the draft being like, what we really want to do is trade down and give Memphis a shot at Jabari Chet or Jaden Ivey mm-hmm. or whoever. Yeah. But man... Like that would be also very interesting if Memphis like was we're gonna go full young guns and try to get like an elite guy out of this draft with all the stuff that we have, and then you continue to kick the salary can down the road and you don't have Beal yeah. on a super max or you don't have like a Paul George. I don't know who else is out there that they could get. You know, that would be interesting. That would be like James Harden. Look, the phone's there and it works. You know, and I would I would be interested. I don't know whether or not but the thing is is that like if you do picks and like. Bain and two other guys for Harden. I don't know if those guys are as good in Philly as they are in Memphis. I certainly don't know that you really want Harden playing next to Ja. I don't really see the point of that, really. I appreciate you like giving me an out there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Ma- Maury and Kleiman, both guys that seem to work the phones a lot. So Should we end by talking a little bit about whether Big Bob Para is going to open the checkbook for these guys when the time comes? Looks like it. I mean, look, looks like his company's doing well. Yeah. Looks like he's, as Brian Win- Winhorse put it, he has deep pockets that are deepening. He's the third richest owner. Congratulations to him uh, behind Balmer and Dan Gilbert. And I think we've just seen with the Lakers, we've seen over and over again that like, yeah, you don't necessarily can't buy championships, but you certainly have to pay for them. So once a team has achieved a certain level of success and everybody's contract comes up, you may need to go deep into the tax to keep that team around. Our guy, Light Years, Joe Lacob, is trying to split the atom by having the next generation coming up behind Clay, Steph, and Draymond. And a lot of people have obviously said, like, well, what you could have done is, you know, packaged a bunch of these picks to get a fourth star for, for the Warriors now that would have made them a dynasty like the literal dynasty but he wants to have the duncan to Kawhi turnover here with kaminga and moody and wiseman presumably winning never stops baby but at a certain point you know jackson's gotten his extension jaws up for his, ex- his extension i know you mentioned that some of these guys can't even be paid that much but this team mm-hmm. will get more expensive right now if you look yeah. at their cap sheet it's like a miracle it's steven adams is the most expensive player and everybody else is pretty much at around nine million dollars <laughs> including kyle yeah. anderson so are we going to see a situation where, well, look, like we, we're, we're not like a big market team and, and we can't afford to keep everybody and we wish them well and we just we trust our culture to replenish a la the Spurs maybe? Or do you think this is a team that, that deserves to be invested in? Based on that story, it seems like Para is not going to have problems spending 
on a team that deserves to you know have that money spent on them and it just seems like it's really good timing for for him as well mm-hmm. and that's like we got some other stuff in that story just about like you know things outside of the team that he's been willing to pay for just like resources Facilities that they needed and stuff like that. Facil- yeah. exactly exactly um and i think that's always like a good tell like you know money talks mm-hmm. so he's been able he's been he's been willing to spend it and the other end like you know some of the moves that the grizzlies have made that you know i didn't necessarily mention have been a lot of it has been like you know making room for a trade exception and you know waving a certain guy so i think they've been also smart with their cap management as well and i think i think from there like it's it's like the miami heat question right like sure. that off season they had where they paid Dion waiters and they paid hassan Wh- whiteside like i look back at that and i'm like well could you have just trusted your own culture to like replenish those guys right um and i think on some level yeah it just kind of depends on the player right like like you look at a guy like desmond bain i would probably pay desmond bain sure bain specifically has a skill that would make him an asset like any team right. really would 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 bend over backwards to get Desmond Bain into their building. So even if you pay Desmond Bain, I don't think that you're going to have a whole a hard time moving him if it comes to that. The Heat thing is interesting yeah. because even though that seemed nuts at the time, there was a certain like Miami takes care of its guys thing happening there mm, that yeah, I think was actually like a, a cool point. signal to the league that's like we're we're never like this is like a different kind of franchise like if you right. if you perform for us if you give us what we need we're going to take care of you and there's not a lot of franchises like that we'll see if memphis becomes one yeah it's it's a it's an interesting distinction too between the heat and the raptors like i think the heat have always looked at player development as like you're going to develop within our system but we know that at the end of the day you want to get paid and i think the implicit promise of that is that if you do the things that you're supposed to do you'll get paid and i think the toronto version of that has always been like somebody will pay you like it might, <laughs> but it might not be us exactly but it's that also bears itself out to be true and it might be true with somebody like desmond bain um and it ended up being true for them with like with norman powell yeah and then like something like gary, gary trent jr comes in and ends up basically being a younger norman powell with a hot shooting stroke and it's actually kind of would probably get similarly paid sure but yeah i don't know that's that's kind of like gonna be the major question for them a very expensive question eventually a very expensive question yeah at some point but not yet <laughs> but like it'll be interesting to go to look back in like six weeks and see if we're talking about western conference finals or if we're talking about oh that was a fun story i guess that yeah. was a little bit they were playing a little bit above their heads sarah thank you yeah. so much for joining me this week we'll talk next week about something probably a playoff preview uh we were produced by chris sutton thanks for listening to the ringer nba show and we'll catch you next week